Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, Brian here. Later in this episode, we're going to announce that we're going listener supported. We'll explain how, but with one single annual donation, you guys can triple the number of episodes that we're able to put out every single year. If you don't want to wait, if you want to go right now, it's patreon.com slash greatest con. This is World's Greatest Con. I'm Brian Brushwood. It is hard for me to believe that we are a scant three weeks away from having launched this series. Eight months of effort, untold rewrites. The day we pressed publish, the day we finally stopped keeping this a secret, I expected to be excited. I expected to be overjoyed. What I didn't expect was to be terrified. And so when I called my co-creator, Justin Robert Young, he asked if I wanted to go out and celebrate. And quite honestly, I responded, no, I'm just going to sit here and cry for a little bit. And that's not to invoke sympathy. I'm not trying to do that. But when you undertake something this big and you sit with it for so long, I know we talk about it in the show, but there truly is that moment. When you go from totally in control to totally out of it. And there was a wave of realizing how personal I had been, how authentic, and I was terrified. And thankfully, you guys seem to love it. So this is our victory lap. We asked you guys for questions, and that means I get to introduce to you the reason the show exists. My partner in crime, Mr. Justin Robert Young. How are you, Justin? Oh, uh, uh, very, very good. Thank you so much. Was that, was that suitably natural banter? No, it's good. This is good. We're doing good banter. uh, uh, For anybody who hasn't heard us talk about it on other podcasts, we've noticed that it's very easy to slip into fake sounding talk. And that was something that we never wanted, especially on this show. And uh, that's part of the reason that it took so long for us to produce was that there are some of those takes that are so raw and authentic that we've never tried to give them a second try. No, but, uh, but in the meantime, we got a ton of feedback, a bunch of emails. Uh, Grace wrote in and said, I loved your podcast about operation mincemeat. Thank you. Quick question though. 
In the early episodes, you stated that Martin was supposed to be a Catholic, which would have prevented the Spanish medical examiner from conducting an autopsy. However, in the final episode, you stated that the autopsy was uh, performed, which was uh, where that evil smelling gases were (laughs) escaping Martin's corpse. Can you please clarify this detail? Perhaps I misheard. As I understand it, the hope would that there would be no autopsy. Yes. The hope would be that there would be kind of a, just move it along. Nobody likes this part of it. But for national security interests, there needed to be some amount of investigation to verify that the body was authentic. But by making sure, again, you're playing the odds in these situations. And the 20 committee, they had no guarantee that they were going to get anything. I mean, they're dropping a body off the coast and crossing their fingers. Uh, which, by the way, I, I don't. A few people wrote me asking if we were aware that the twenty committee in Roman numerals is XX, and I, according to Chatter, that was to imply double cross. Oh, which, if true, that's one of those just so stories that's pretty good. I like it quite a bit. Yeah, I don't know if that's uh, if that's something that that you know just makes a lot more sense after the fact, or if it was there in in the moment. But I mean, they are the 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 the, the committee that comes up with clever names. I was about things, to say so. it would be very in character if it was an on purpose thing. But in terms of answering your question, Grace, I mean, goodness, there's so much we don't know for sure about all of this. But yes, there was definitely an examination of the body, uh, an attempt. I, I don't know the difference between a full alt autopsy or not, but it does seem that they had success by making everybody very uncomfortable to keep people yeah. from looking too closely at everything. And it was a, it was barely an autopsy. So in, in, if his religion played any role in that, then it was successful because there was not a full autopsy that was done, which is really what they were trying to avoid. Mike writes, what is it about Spain that the 20 committee and others had in mind to drop the body off by? Why not somewhere else? Well, and we touched on this, man, you could write a whole book on the intricacies of uh, Nazi sympathies versus allied sympathies. Uh, Spain, again, was officially neutral, but they had specific targets that they knew were working out of Spain. And if they could make it happen that, that these known corrupted individuals were placed in a room with it, then the assumption was that it would get in the hands of the Nazis. And as, as we heard in episode four, it uh, almost didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, Spain was there because Spain would leak it to the Nazis. And it was, it was, they were very, very, very confident that because they had other things had passed informationally uh, up the chain. Uh, and, and so that's and, why. And remember, remember, and we tried to hammer this home several times. It's not enough to get the information in their hands. They have to convince themselves. And it's so hard to do that. You can't just drop a body by parachute in the middle of, let's say, you know, just outside of Berlin. Yeah, you would find a body, but the people who would examine it would know to look for counterespionage and to say, well, why would this body be here? This makes no sense. Discount whatever's in here. You had to dangle it just enough that they were able to seduce themselves. And it would have a head of steam by the time that it gets to Hitler's desk. Haley writes, what are some of your wildest personal theories on some of the gray areas? In this story, 
There was one plot line that we kind of had to cut uh, both for time and, and because it was getting into the weeds just a little bit. But in Ben McIntyre's book, Operation Mincemeat, he portrays uh, Spin, a.k.a. Spinster, as somebody uh, who is writing on behalf of the fictitious Pam. Yeah. As somebody who is channeling all of her repressed desires, the wish that she could be young and beautiful and bubbly and all these things. But uh, Justin and I talked a bit about it and we have no evidence to prove this, but I personally love the narrative as yeah. you described it. Uh, that, that this is a parody, you know, uh, if, if, you know, your, your nickname is spinster, but you're like younger, more uh, uh, pretty and available coworkers. Uh, it seems equally as likely to me that what she is writing is this empty headed character as a parody of, of, you know, the, the, the girls and women around her that feel so comfortable mocking her that they gave her the nickname spinster. And if they're gobbling this up saying, Oh, this is so good. Wow. Then that probably makes it even more fun yeah. for her to quietly mock them back. But again, that's all stuff we can't possibly know, but I do like that version of that's, it. That's our own head cannon. Steven writes, are there any plans of featuring special guests in future episodes? Personally, I'd love to hear Brian speak with uh, Maria Konnikova and Apollo Robbins. Uh, yeah, Apollo Robbins is a friend of the show who I've known for about a decade. Um, a really, really good guy. I mean, he, uh, a, a true gentleman. Uh, we could do interviews and um, I don't, I don't want to tip too much. This is where I get the glare from Justin about overstepping things, but uh, we've sketched out a possible, uh, a probable season two and an almost definite season three. And I know that season three is electric because we have access to first sources, very intimate access to first sources. And, and we're, we are hoping uh, as we get through and you'll understand why, uh, as we do this Q and a where we're headed here, but my goodness, man, uh, being able to interview some of the people that we're talking about interviewing, I think would be electric. Uh, Mathis writes, I wanted to say that I really dig the show, especially the radio play vibes. It was great fun hearing about operation mincemeat while pouring over actual Nazi documents. He then adds parenthetically, I work at an archive. Don't worry. That is amazing. <laughs> and it does bring up the interesting question of how much is too much when it comes to production? You know, we like very much the idea that we're creating a travelogue, a soundscape, and you feel that you're in different places at different times. Sometimes you're with Brian on stage. Sometimes you're in the trenches, you know, you, you're on a submarine, yeah. you know, playing shooty guns, as we put it. <laughs> uh, I, I, we, we early feedback, we got differing opinions, but it sounds like in general, most people have really dug the rich soundscapes. And I, I know I do when I listen to it. Yeah. I think it, it, it's a big part of what we want to do. And, and we really want to bring this stuff to life. You know, if, if there's an element that I try to bring with, with the, the production side of it is just to really make history kind of alive, like bring you there. And Brian has such tremendous passion, uh, in his voice. I think it's a lot easier to, to do, uh, when, you know, we're, we're, we're working with that kind of, uh, that kind of, uh, uh, audio, uh, Lilith writes, 
One pedantic thing. The name St. John is pronounced Shinjin because Brits, I'm not even going to let Brian talk here. I'm yeah. going to say, blame me, Lilith. Blame me 100%. Brian repeatedly said Shinjin, and I kept saying- Sinjin. 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 Sorry. Yeah. I, I kept saying, nobody knows that. It's going to sound weird. And so I edited it and I made, I, I put him at gunpoint even before I moved to Austin. I put him at gunpoint and I said, say St. John. It is, it is totally my, totally my decision that we kept it St. John and not St. John. Part of it is because we hear the name twice. And the first time we hear it, we hear it in a quasi robotic video game voice. Yeah. Uh, which by the way, a number of people ask me who we got to narrate that. And I, it's I like, saw our friend, uh, Cargill, C Robert Cargill, the, the, uh, writer of Dr. Strange and many other awesome movies, uh, who has a great voice. Uh, they were like, like, Hey, like congratulations on your cameo on episode two of world's greatest God. And Gargill's so like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. That's actually me reading it in sort of a Pokemon infused, uh, clipped style. Yeah. And then Justin pitch shifted me down, uh, which is also a trick I did for that skewer through tongue bit. I couldn't find anyone to narrate the skewer through tongue instructions to my oh, satisfaction. Wow. Yeah. So that's exactly what I did, which for was that. read it the way I wanted it and then pitch shifted my voice down. But so in that case, it, it, the whole point was that's a, that's, that's a bizarre name. So we wanted to lean into it with like St. John Stewart, Stuart, Radcliffe, Horse, uh, whatever. Horsefall. Yeah. Uh, Horsefall. That's right. And then uh, we, we had to touch on it again since we had already said that, but uh, 100% busted. Uh, I agree with you, Lilith. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. AB writes, this is, this is a, this is a bit of a story here. Sometime in 2000 or 2001, I was in a bar in the British embassy in Warsaw a few times and got to talking to these embassy guys who were moaning about their colleague. The embassy at the time was on Yuzhidao Avenue. It's not there anymore. And we used an entrance on Aleha Raz to get access to the bar. The drinks were irresponsibly cheap and our contact, an embassy attache, used to meet us there for catch-ups and chats. The hated colleague was one of those posh wankers you come across at British embassies all over the world, overpromoted because of the school he went to. The guy was a senior undeclared intelligence asset, much better paid than the other attaches as a result, but he wasn't good at his job. There are several details that I won't bore you with that would give credence to this guy being terrible at his role as an undeclared asset, as it was well understood by this time that half of Warsaw know, knew that he wasn't an administrative attache, so nobody felt too bad about take, talking it over uh, over some very cheap Guinness. 
He got his big job because in his previous posting in a Balkan state, he had worked with a local senior police officer who was a British intelligence asset to make it appear that a dead man was the actual British intelligence source. They stuffed the dead man's pockets full of incriminating evidence and left him somewhere where he'd be found. The local policeman was the source, uh, was the, led the investigation in a convenient direction. I was told that the hated colleague had come up with the plan because his own incompetence had almost exposed the policeman as it has said. So he was only covering his tracks and he was very open about his inspiration being a World War II job he'd read about at Cambridge called Operation Mincemeat. I've always remembered the name. It is very visceral. Uh, What's funny is... We, and we say this in the show, there's nothing new under the sun, man. Like yeah. even the people doing Operation Mincemeat knew like two words, Trojan horse. Yeah. It, it turns <laughs> out it still works. The fundamentals don't change. Number one, I was just in love with the idea of like, like, let me tell you about the time that I was just drinking with a bunch of spies in Warsaw, British spies in Warsaw. I, I just, I want to be there. I would like to be at that bar specifically for the hear about it, chief. But that's as far it. as I want to go. <laughs> Andy writes, and this is something that we got a lot of feedback on. Uh, Thank you, Brian, for sharing the story of your brother. That must have been difficult. Yep, it was. And that's one of those that we've never replaced the audio. We've done a bunch of little nips and tucks and punch ups. uh, But on this particular day, we uh, uh, episode two on paper was going to be one of the most challenging to write because episode two is about. So anyway, the guys wrote a story. But the more we talked about it, the victory is they wrote the story. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. But then the more we talked about it, uh, there, there was some moment I was on an early morning walk and I was talking to Justin about, you know, we had been talking about how cons are like video games and how it struck me very hard that I was going through a real life version of exactly what they were putting together. I was going through digital pocket litter in my brother's computer and, uh, there, there was this moment that I was just fully in state. And, uh, I, re- I remember Justin said, Brian, if, if you don't mind, I would like you to stop talking. I would like you to walk into the studio right now. I would like you to call me on Skype and press record. And, uh, all, almost everything you hear, part of the reason that it sounds raw is because it is raw and un- yeah. unscripted in that moment. And that's, that's one bit that we never, we never changed. No. And it was, as your friend, I did not realize that you wanted to move this part of your life into the public square. And, and, uh, that I, I didn't know either. I just yeah. knew that I was talking it out with you and then you were like press record. And I always knew like, well, if I become uncomfortable, we, we cannot yeah. play that. Yeah. But, uh, that really defined the series. I mean, I think there were, there were two moments where, in the process of recording the show became something different than it was on the page. And it was in the first episode when like I had written that speaker scam thing as just a, a generic scam thing. That's so funny. I thought for sure you knew that I had been through that. Absolutely not. I had no clue. Uh, That was just a speaker. Like it was just a, a thing that I, I, you know, I, I know is out there and other people that I had known have gotten got by it. And so when you made it 
you were like, oh no, I, I let, let's tell the real story. And I'm like, yes, indeed. Let's tell the real story. Uh, and then the, the, you know, that had gone so well. And, and, and I really liked where episode one was that when you were talking about bringing the stuff with Jay, which I, I, I need to express to everybody like that we all went through a lot through the pandemic and, and uh, you know, a lot of people lost uh, uh, friends and family to the disease and, and to many other ancillary things that was, especially in that moment that we were recording it, an extraordinarily raw uh, thing uh, for, for Brian and, and anybody in that orbit. So, uh, you know, making art out of it uh, was not only, I think, very brave, but also uh, it was, I think it put a lot of pressure on us that this thing needs to be good, right? Like you don't want to put that out there and have it not be the best thing that it could possibly be. And and, and, and the I, I thing I feared close. most would be the possibility that it would feel exploitative. Yes. And that's part of why um, I, I wanted that moment if it was going to go in there, it had to be as authentic and genuine as possible. And, and I, I, I feel like it, 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 it's, it's, it's all the truth. And, and um, it's, it's about as real as you're going to get in podcasting. Yeah, uh, uh, ab absolutely. And, and I think it also is, is an important thing thematically because if you are willing to be this honest with the audience, which, by the way, if you haven't figured it out, all of the Brian stories, Brian, Brian is not the hero. <laughs> Brian is the guy who gets scammed by the speaker, who loses a, a loved one, who who uh, panics and shoves deer tongues in his mouth. I mean, there is. Yeah. I mean, and I think that we've we've talked about this, that part of the ethos of the show is that there's a million different uh, pieces of art from movies to music to, to TV shows where the, the con artist is cool and smart and, and, you know, uh, suave, suave and, and maybe they're dastardly, but they're smarter than everybody else. And I, I think we try to tell things from the opposite perspective. I mean, yeah, I guess we could say it from the sucker's point of view. Yeah. And, and, uh, it was only after we finished episode four, that Justin called me as he was putting the final touches on it. And he said, do you realize what you've done? I'm like, what, what? It's like, you've made Hitler the sympathetic rube. <laughs> He's the sucker in this story. And it opens with you being the sympathetic rube. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's complicated. Life is complicated. And I think that's, that's kind of the, the larger ethos of the show is that if we can explain cons, we can on some level explain comprehension and, and, and life because it is one of those moments where if, if you can break it down, if you can break down reality and make somebody do something that is like hilariously against their own self-interest, then it really just kind of shows some of the underpinnings of society itself. There, there, there was one pushback. Uh, we opened with the sentiment of you can't con an honest John and somebody on Twitter said he thought that was tripe and balderdash. Um, and and I disagree because he was like, uh, there are plenty of honest people you could con. 
And it's like, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, there are plenty of honest people you can defraud. Yeah. You can, you know, cause if they trust you and they're giving you $300 for what you're telling them is a PlayStation five, you can load up full of bricks, but that's not a con. That's, no. <laughs> that's just straight up fraud. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's getting people to step outside of their own boundaries. It's that seduction that, that makes for a good con or a good deception. Uh, wall writes, Hey there, I was wondering where I might find the podcast soundtrack. I think it was amazing. Uh, I will say that our main theme is story of a hero by Max H, but, uh, in general, the, the, the music was, uh, you know, I, I think great. I, I, I very uh, enjoyed yeah. the stuff. Well, wait, wait, the way Justin put it to me was, as because he's the one who had to listen to me walk through all of these half-baked poetical ideas and stuff. And Justin said, I just realized Brian lives at all times with a John Williams-esque background music oh, yeah. playing. <laughs> I do think that the show is at its best when it's at its most John Williams. So. Yeah. John, John, uh, uh, I'd love to have you on board for season two. <laughs> uh, Will writes, I have to question the effectiveness of the entire operation. Uh, in the podcast, it is for obvious reasons left at a high level and that it in that Operation Mincemeat saved thousands of lives and quote unquote, turned the tide of the war. Can you expand on that? Had the access powers forfeited their positions in Sicily, do we have a picture of how the outcome of the invasion and the rest of the war would have played out? Uh, man, there are books upon books upon books of speculation of exactly how effective anything is. There's also the question, as I hear it from historians, and I think we make no bones about the fact that we're not historians so much as uh, people who are fans of great stories. Yeah. Uh, the stuff we do know is what we were able to report at the end. We know the when and the how many and the what of what got misallocated to what were definitely the wrong positions. Yeah. We know that, what was it? Within three weeks of allied boots hitting the ground in Sicily. Mussolini's dead. Yes. <laughs> Which to me, uh, again, maybe they could have done all of this without Operation Mincemeat, but uh, I, I, I strongly believe that it wouldn't have looked the same. And we talk about the possibility of the Nazi quagmire, the idea yeah. that it's not a matter of, did they win the war? The The question is how many lives did they save? And, and as with so many of these questions, there's no way to know for sure, but you can look at the numbers. And I think, I think the more I heard, the more compelling and obvious and unqualified success this appeared to be to me. Yeah, I, I think we, Brian Brian hit on it. We 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 go over it in episode one that uh, they the allies were genuinely terrified of a stalemate. And yes, they had momentum, but we've seen wars where people have momentum and then lose it. So yeah. they uh, this is of course they did a billion different things. And yeah, um, these are our last questions here. 
Uh, I'll read them both because I think that they both kind of uh, uh, go together. Daniel writes, do you have another story or season or arc planned? And Rachel writes, I wonder if you intend to keep keep this podcast strictly in a historical context. What I mean by that is, do you have plans to cover modern day cons or only cons of the past destined for this podcast? Doing either or a bit of both are great options. Just curious what your plans are. So Brian, what is the future of world's greatest con. We already have an arc sketched out for season two. Season two will be more of an anthology series, individual stories all tied together by theme. Mm -hmm. Season three will be a much more recent tale of deception and an audacious plan that we would like to go even more in depth on. Uh, this was a very heavy first story for us to take on season two will be lighter, but I think possibly more entertaining for it, but a little bit more human, a little bit more dirt under the fingernails, human, because it's individual stories. Yeah. And, and uh, it's a little messier, a little, uh, uh, a little bit more recent and, uh, you know, I think Brian and I both share a DNA of, of, you know, especially when you're introducing something, you know, go big or go home. Like don't, don't work up to a big thing, just drop the big thing immediately. And so that's why going after Hitler was, was the, the natural place that you go when you want to make an impression. But, uh, but yeah. But really, I mean, both of these questions open the door to the big question, which is, are you going to take another eight months <laughs> to make four more episodes again? And this is the part where we lay our fate at your feet. This mm-hmm. is the part where we announce that we want to do this forever and ever and ever. And truthfully, if nobody lifts a finger, we'll continue to make four episodes every eight months and we'll do our best with what we have. Uh, but we've heard a bit about the realities of advertising in podcasting. And when we match that to the one-on-one reviews and experiences, the way people's eyes light up when they talk about various parts about what we've done, it's pretty clear that uh, this is the type of project that deserves to be listener supported. So we are, we're going to make a Patreon with one promise. More episodes better episodes, faster episodes. There'll be better episodes because they'll be ad free, just like you guys experienced these first four. Although some of you latecomers maybe experienced it different. We strongly encourage you to support the ad free experience. We'll be able to keep you guys up to date with progress as we pull together each season, maybe even be able to drop hints. We'll see. Uh, We'll be, there'll be better episodes because there'll be no ad. There'll be more episodes because we'll be able to pay for so much of the support that we desperately need. uh, And there'll be more, much, much more. And, and that's going to be all because of the people who have decided to step across the line and directly support independent storytelling like this. And that Patreon is at patreon.com slash greatest con. It is available now. And you guys, uh, uh, if, if you would like, uh, to, to kick us, uh, you know, a, a monthly, uh, a monthly donation, then we are going to, uh, 
hopefully have these things out, uh, uh, you know, as good and better uh, than season one uh, uh, in in a much faster time frame because we know. I mean, they got faster as we. Oh, they got faster even as we figured out our own voice. Yeah, but to put it in perspective, for about sixty bucks per year, you could be a founding member and essentially triple our output. And I think that's worth it. Yeah. And I'm hoping you guys will join us as insiders. Now, if this was a scam, <laughs> I would give you a specific reason and say, and that's why we need your money right, right now. now. <laughs> it is a bit of a, a bit of a box we've painted ourselves into. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it, we, it reminds me a lot of our friend, Andrew Maine, who uh, had a, a show called don't trust Andrew Maine yes. on, on A and E. And when they came up and pitched him the, 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 the title, they're like, Oh, this is great. It's hilarious. Cause you're like a, a, a trickster magician. And he's like, yeah, here's the problem. My real name is Andrew Maine. And that means that for the rest of my life, I'm going to have people saying, I don't know. I don't know. I trust, I trust you? you? I mean, take it from the scam school, scam yeah. nation, <laughs> hacking the system guy. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, it is, uh, it, it's there for you. We're, we're very, very, very excited about where we can go and, and, uh, we really do uh, have big people. stories planned and we can't wait to tell them as fast as we can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, the fate of the show is in your hands. Ooh. Your listener. Is, is that a line for the big Lebowski? <laughs> Her life is in your hands, dude. <laughs> oh, don't say that. Her life is in your hands. <laughs> Look, we love you guys. Thank you so much for joining us on the journey so far. Here's to many, many years until you eventually figure out that the world's greatest con is that we keep coming up with great stories. Each one might, in fact, be the world's greatest con. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.